0: Well, good morning, Genesis. My name is Michael. I serve as uh, one of the pastors here. And if no one has told you yet, let me be maybe the first uh, to wish you a happy Easter. I hope that it has already been uh, a great Sunday morning for you. And whether you are brand new to Genesis today, or you've been coming for years and years, uh, sincerely just wanted to say thanks for taking some time on Sunday morning uh, to be with us in uh, this space and this time now. Uh, We've been thinking about Easter through the lens of a paradigm shift. Now, if you were just to go to the dictionary and look up paradigm shift, here's what you'd find. A paradigm shift is a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions. So a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions. So it's safe to say that no one likes a paradigm shift. No one is a fan of a paradigm shift because after all, who wants to make a fundamental change to your current approach and or assumptions to how you go about living your life. Now, I'm not suggesting that a paradigm shifts are bad or wrong. I'm just acknowledging that paradigm shifts can be hard. But I think here's the reality for all of us. Every once in a while, something so remarkable happens that you can't act as if it didn't happen. Something so remarkable happens that there has to be a shift in the way that you think and live your life. For example, I'll give you a few examples of paradigm shifts that have taken place in my life. February 14th, 1998, she said yes. And that was a paradigm shift of I could no longer continue to live and to act as if I was a single individual because I was a married man now. Paradigm shift number two, July 14th, 2003 he showed up. And I could no longer act that it was just now the two of us uh, because there was now three. So a shift had to take place to our family. Now, probably the most significant paradigm shift that ever took place was in October 2012 when I lost my hair. And I had to give up on my dream that I would be Brad Pitt's... (laughs) maybe double in a movie. My goal was I wanted to be Brad, and I just figured, grow the hair out as long as I can. Maybe he'll call me one day and say, Michael, you and I are like twinsies. Let's maybe work together. So that was a significant paradigm shift. Uh, Again, all of those are just examples, uh, certainly remarkable in their own way. But each of those paradigm shifts, that happened required that I make some sort of change and or shift in my life. But I'll never forget uh, a question that was asked me in my early 20s, a question that really I was confronted with that led to what I could tell you honestly was a (laughs) life-altering paradigm shift. And this was the question that somebody asked me, is Jesus alive? Is Jesus alive? Now, this is the question for all people, regardless of your background or upbringing, regardless of your spiritual interest or heritage, whether you're an atheist or an agnostic or maybe a skeptic, whether you've been in church your entire life, or maybe this is the very first time that you've been in church, this question is that significant really for one reason alone. If Jesus is alive. Well, that paradigm shift alters all of human history because no one has ever conquered death and come back to life. But here's the thing, if Jesus is dead and if Jesus is still dead, then there is no shift that is required for anyone. Why on earth would you alter your life and trust your eternity to somebody who is dead? If Jesus is dead, why on earth would any one of us listen to anything that He ever said or did. But if it did happen, if Jesus truly rose from the from the grave, from the dead, three days after he was brutally murdered, well, gosh, that changes everything. A paradigm shift must take place because his victory over death, not only had that never been done before and has not been done since, but it validates who he was, it validates all that he said and did but the the biggest thing is it affirms that he claimed to be God in flesh. Now, I will be the first to admit that the concept of someone dying and coming back to life, well, gosh, that's really hard to comprehend. I would go as far as to say that is just unfathomable to think that someone could die and then come back to life three days later. But here's what's even a little bit more crazy to me. Jesus said he was going to do that. Over a dozen times, Jesus told the men and the women that were following him, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die, but three days later, I'm going to come back to life. This is just one of those dozen plus instances where Jesus told the followers this. In Matthew 20, Jesus speaking here, listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and then crucified. But then listen to what Jesus says next. But on that third day, he will be raised from the dead. Now, if you had heard Jesus say this, not just once, not just twice, not even just three times, but over a dozen times that he would come back to life after the third day, wouldn't you envision that at least one of the disciples on that third day? would have spoken up and said, hey guys, just out of curiosity, we heard him say that something was going to happen on that third day. Let's just, who knows what might happen? Let's just go to the grave and just see if this might come true. Well, not one of them did this because they could not comprehend a paradigm shift such as a dead person coming back to life. And I think all of us can relate with that. Have you ever gone to a funeral And on your way to the funeral, you begin thinking to yourself, well, who knows? Who knows? Maybe this is going to be the day that our friend who died is going to wake up. We don't think like that because someone coming back to life is such a paradigm shift that we can't comprehend. But this is the beauty and the power of Easter, a paradigm shift for all of us. So the question that we have to consider... Uh, Before we take a look at the shift that can take place, that we have to have an answer for is just this Is Jesus alive? That's the question I was confronted with almost 25 years ago. How would you answer that question for yourself? Is Jesus, is he alive? Now, for those of you who would say, Michael, it just seems so improbable that he actually is still alive. I just cannot wrap my mind around, or maybe you would just say, it's such a fanciful story that was made up 2,000 years ago just to help a lot of people who were sad and depressed that he died. They needed something to cling on to. Well, my question for you then would be this. What would it take to convince you today that he's alive? Like, what evidence would you need to see or maybe evidence would you need to hear that Jesus is, in fact, alive, that He died on a cross, but then three days later was raised back to life? Would an empty tomb convince you? Because this is what the very first discovery that was made is that the tomb that He was buried in was empty on that third day. It says in Luke Why are you looking among the dead? And this question is being asked to a group of women who went to care for Jesus' dead and decaying body. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you. So would an empty tomb, would that be enough to convince you that he, in fact, is alive? Or how about would multiple eyewitnesses to actually seeing and hearing, engaging and interacting with Jesus, would that be enough? Would it be enough if there was like maybe a dozen or two dozen or three dozen? Or heck, maybe if there was a hundred people that all testified that we have seen Him. What if it was more than a hundred? What if there were, say, 500 men and women all agreeing on that story that, no, we have actually seen Him? It says in Corinthians 15, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by more than 500 followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. What are the chances that 500 people are going to have the exact same hallucination? So, would 500 eyewitnesses be enough to convince you that Jesus is alive? Maybe that's not it. Would billions of transformed lives over the last 2,000 years, and the transformation, if you were to ask them, hey, where is this transformed life coming from? And they all point back to one true fact reality for them that Jesus is alive. That's what led to this transformation. Would that be enough to see Billions upon billions of lives changed and transformed from the inside out. Would that be enough? One life in particular that's extremely compelling to me is a man named Paul. Now, if you don't know anything about this guy named Paul, that's okay. What you would need to know about Paul is his job, his mission, his aim, his goal in life was to crush Christianity. And when I say crush Christianity, he wanted to imprison men and women who actually were claiming that Jesus is alive. And not just imprison them, but put them to death because they were testifying to that. This is, in his own words, his story. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down to foreign cities. So clearly, he has one aim. If you are going to claim that Jesus is alive, his job is to get you to curse Jesus. If you don't, then to kill you. But then something happened to this individual. Like what would take for that guy to change story? Right? He goes on in his story. He says in verse 20, Acts 26, he sees Jesus. He says, who are you? I asked, and the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. The same guy who's trying to kill off Christians, Jesus appears to him and he sees him and says, I want you to be my witness to what you've seen. So, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins, be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Again, that's just one example of billions of people that have been transformed by Jesus who is alive. So, all of those things, would that be enough to help convince you that Jesus is, in fact, alive, that he resurrected on the third day? Now, and thinking back, when I was asked that question 25 years ago as to whether or not I believe that Jesus was alive, if I'm being completely honest with you, I didn't want it to be true. I didn't want Jesus to be alive because I knew that if He was, it would require a paradigm shift that would forever alter my life. I knew if Jesus were alive that I could no longer live my life as if the resurrection, resurrection, somehow it just didn't matter because I knew this to be true. The resurrection changed everything. The resurrection would change me. Like if it really happened and he was still alive and still is alive, that would change human history. And I knew it would change my history. Now, to be equally honest with you, as much as I struggled with the shift I knew I would have to make I knew the only hope for meaningful change in me, in my life. And when I say meaningful change, I wanted change in my life that would be meaningful and would last. I didn't like the pride and the ego. I didn't like the selfishness and the self-centeredness. I didn't like the anger and the bitterness that I had. And as much as I tried to mask all of that on the outside, I knew on the inside there was just things that I wanted to be different, but I couldn't make them be different on my own. And when I just looked around the world that I lived in, I don't think anyone here would disagree that the world is pretty broken. There's darkness and there's evil and there's just so much greed and hatred and violence, so much selfishness and self-centeredness. And so I just knew that if there would be any meaningful change in my life and any meaningful change in the world and the culture that I lived in, it would not come from just my doing. It would come from a resurrected Jesus. Because this is the promise from God to anyone and everyone who would decide to trust and follow Jesus. The promise is new life. The promise from God to anyone, anyone who would look to Jesus and declare, I believe he's alive, is new life. It says this in Corinthians, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. I love the language there, everyone, not just some, but everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. So whether you're religious or irreligious, you'll be given new life. Whether you're a skeptic or an atheist or agnostic or indifferent, you'll be given new life. If you've never been to church, you'll be given new life. If you've been to church your whole life and have looked to kind of the religious thing, you'll be given new life. If you're here today and you say, gosh, I've made a mess of my life. Well, the promise is everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And the new life that Jesus promises to give is a life where all of our sins, past, present, and future are completely forgiven. So things like guilt and shame and hiding and wearing masks, thing of the past. Why? Because we're completely forgiven. Peace with God. That's the other promise of new life, is that I can have friendship with God. I can have relationship with God, both now and throughout eternity. New life means that you and I could be considered called sons and daughters, children of God, experiencing as a good father His grace and His kindness and His faithfulness and His provision. And the promise of new life for anyone who belongs to Christ, believes that he is alive, is an actual purpose worth living for, a purpose worth giving yourself to. It says again in Corinthians, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Man, that was such good news to me because I was sick of myself and I was sick of living for myself. I was sick of putting myself at the center of my existence because it's a really small existence. But when I was offered the promise of new life, I was offered the promise of a purpose worth living for. So I made the decision 25 years ago to trust and to follow Jesus for one reason, because I believed he was alive. He wasn't just some dead, moral, good, religious prophet. He was the son of God who came to make a way for us to know God, and he could do that because he is alive. I want to ask you one more time the question that was asked to me roughly 25 years ago Is Jesus alive? How would you answer that question for yourself today? Because if you answer the question that Jesus is alive and I've made that decision to follow him, be encouraged to know that what you celebrate on Easter is new life. New life. No more shame and guilt. Walking in the grace and kindness and forgiveness of God where you have friendship and peace with God. That's what you get to celebrate today is the gift of new life if you belong to Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to answer the question for yourself, is Jesus alive? Just want you to know the promise from God for you. If you were to look to Christ and to trust him, new life is for you as well. No matter who you are and where you are and where you've been or what you've done or haven't done, the promise of God to you is anyone who looks to Christ because He is alive receives the gift of new life.